Good morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're looking at verses 1 through 46. Christmas is more than a baby in a manger. It is heaven invading earth so that earth can experience heaven. It is about God with us. Matthew 1, 23. The prophet Isaiah gives us further insight into what the impact of God with us would have on our lives. Isaiah 9, 6 says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We looked at Wonderful Counselor last week. Today we're looking at Mighty God. Sooner or later, everyone will be shaken by circumstances that defy explanation, making you feel profoundly abandoned by God. And that is no doubt what the folks are experiencing right now in, in Connecticut after this horrific tragedy. And so it's interesting. We've seen a, a bit of tragedy in our own church family and having this tragedy happen this last week. I didn't choose this message. God chose it for us. I think it's very strategic for such a time as this. God is here and wants to speak to us as it relates to tragedy, adversity, and grieving, and how we do that. And I think this is a wonderful text to understand that and understand in, in the midst of that, our mighty God and His grace is certainly more than enough. There's only one thing worse than disappointment with God, and that's disappointment without God. And uh, if you're going to hang on to your faith in hard times... This is kind of the two big ideas that we're working on this morning. You need to see life's difficulties in light of our mighty God. And you need to let life's difficulties press your heart closer to mighty God. And uh, that's what we're certainly uh, looking at this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? And then we'll read through our text and then we'll unpack our notes here. Good to have you with us. God, we are delighted to be here today. Your word, Psalm 91.1, it's very clear. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Teach us through the study of your word and the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit how to dwell in you by seeing our difficulties in light of you, our mighty God. And... Also, letting our difficulties press our hearts closer to you, our mighty God, so that we can find rest even when circumstances defy explanation. For your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take a look at this text. It's a lengthy text. I'm going to comment on it as we walk through here. And, uh, and we begin... In John chapter 11, now a certain man was ill. By the way, the word ill in the Greek literally means as you walk through this, he was on, on the verge of death. He's about ready to die. And so it's pretty severe. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, Mar it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with, with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. This is interesting because this event has not happened yet, though John feels it is necessary for him to put this here so that you can see the connection that Jesus has with his family. Uh, 
very close, loving friendship, relationship, uh, even as Jesus was particularly close to Peter, James, and John, as it relates to the 12 disciples, he had a very close relationship with Peter, James, and John. Well, he has a very close relationship with his family. That's important. You're going to see this at least three different times emphasized in this. And the reason for that is because what Jesus is about to do does not seem like love. The circumstance here defies explanation, and it doesn't make any sense. And yet the writer's saying, no, no, this is love. This is love of God. And so that's why he put that there, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Stop that for uh, just for a minute. It's interesting that they, they appeal to him, not based on their love for him, but his love for them. You guys tracking with me on that? Major difference. When we approach God based on our love, but God, I love you. God, I've given to you. That's, that's a bit entitlement. It's paganism. It's like you've earned some kind of basis and you don't ever approach God like that. They're not approaching God like that. But they're approaching Jesus based on Jesus' love. Jesus, and that's a great way to pray. Jesus, we come to you because we know you love us. I mean, that's a great way to pray. You always approach him based on his love for you, not your love for him. Got that? So it's pretty clear. It's really important. Otherwise, it becomes entitlement and uh, like I deserve this and it's based on my performance. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. It's based on grace. It's phenomenal. The more you understand grace, the grace of God, he works in your life not because you deserve it, because we're totally undeserving of anything that he will ever do in our life, but it's because of his grace, his amazing love for us. And that's how they're coming to him. They're appealing to him based on that. And so, so it says, So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. By the way, that's why we are on this planet Earth is to give glory to God. We're here to, we were created by God for God to give glory to God in triumph or tragedy. He's just declaring something that the whole Bible is all about. It's not about you and about your glory. It's always about His glory. That's the best place to live. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So here's the third time we've seen the the topic of love come up. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This doesn't make sense. Every one of us probably have, have gotten news of a loved one that was on their deathbed. And what is typically your response? Immediately you drop whatever you have and you run over to their side to be with them. Isn't that not true? And yet Jesus, it says right here, and Jesus delayed two days. So you can see in the context of love, that's why he's emphasizing love, because Jesus, the circumstances here are going to defy explanation. This doesn't look like love, but yet he loves us. If you can understand and maybe get a glimpse of what he's saying here today, you're going to take major steps forward in maturity and growth and understanding the sovereign love of God for you. Even in the face of uh, circumstances that defy explanation and you can't come up with any reasons why that would happen to you. You're going to, you're going to be moving into major league faith. You'll no longer be in the minor leagues. 
You're going to be moving up into the major league faith. That's what, he's, that's what this text is doing for us. It's kind of pushing us up to a different level of faith and understanding what God is up to in our lives and our circumstances. So he delays, and then verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day, in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him, And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now the disciples misunderstand him, and they, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for you, this almost doesn't, this might not make sense to you, but notice what he says here. And for your sake, I am glad. What? And for your sake, I am glad. Why? That I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's a phenomenal text. So I'm glad that he died. What? I'm glad that he died so that you might believe. Believe is the counterpart. It's kind of the human part of showing his glory. This is for God's glory. And when you get a glimpse of his glory, your faith will soar. That's what he's saying. Faith is, uh, faith is more than the agreement of facts in the head. It's an experience of, and I believe ultimately by seeing his glory is this deep sustaining joy in the midst of grief. Whatever we're going through, we have that strength, stamina, stability in the midst of that. That's part of belief. Not just an agreement with facts. It's, it's an experience of the presence of God and knowing God that he is more than enough in our circumstances. I'll define a little bit later uh, what glory is as we work through this. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Doo-hoo! Talking about Jesus, you know, he's probably going to get stoned there, and so let's go die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, had already been in the tomb for four days. In fact, we're going to read later on, he's to the point of, it's hopeless. He smells. Decomposition. So he delayed two days. It probably took a couple days to travel there, uh, so he's dead. Beyond hope. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And I want you to note his response. Jesus responds to these two sisters completely different. We're going to talk about that because we're going to learn a little bit about how to help people through their grief. And there's not a one-size-fits-all uh, fixes all here. One-size-fits-all, fix, that's what I meant. And, uh, and so and, and you're going to see that he kind of adapts to where they are and how he talks to them and walks them through this process. And so verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the anguish in that? How often I've said that. How often you've said that 
I know that they're saying that right now, Newtown, Connecticut. God, this makes no sense. Where are you in this? But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I want us to read verses 25 and 26 together in a loud. Are you ready? These are really profound uh, verses, really wonderful verses. Here we go. One, two, three. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh, my goodness. Those are profound, profound. Uh, so I find it interesting that Jesus is referring to death as, as uh, sleep. He's falling asleep. Of course, they didn't understand. He said, yeah, he's falling asleep. How many really enjoy Sunday afternoon naps? So he's saying death is a Sunday afternoon nap. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, if you're ever bored, uh, I've got the most wonderful thing for you to do. I did it this last week. I went in for a colonoscopy. And that will make your day unboring. In fact, after you have uh, have the self-induced diarrhea for 24 hours with very little sleep, um, and then you go in there. But it was, what was interesting about this is they started the IV, and then they laid me on my side, and I won't go into too many details here. But, uh, but what was interesting about this is that I was laying there, and they were getting ready to put me on. I'd never been under anesthesia. And uh, so the gal asked me, she said, okay, what I'm going to do in a few moments, I'm going to ask you for your name, and then I'll ask you for your date of birth, and I just want to verify that I'm the right person, okay? And so they, she asked for that, I, I responded, and then she said, in five seconds, you will be out. And I'm like, yeah, right. But it was more like this, yeah, right. <laughs> and the next thing I knew it, I woke up with my wife in heaven, my wife rubbing my arm, and then lead me out to the car like this. <laughs> and then I started talking to my wife after I came a little bit more too, and I go, what was that guy talking about? He was talking to you. I heard someone saying something about this and that. Yeah, he was trying to talk to you, but obviously you were out of it. And it was just it was a bizarre thing. But I was thinking a little bit about this idea of death that I believe it's just last breath on earth. First breath in heaven. It's like going to sleep. See, the Bible get, tells us that death isn't anything we should ever face or, or should ever fear. We will face it and we shouldn't fear it because as believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible uses language like this, uh, Philippians chapter 1, that it is better by far to live as Christ, to die is gain. Yes, it's gain. And to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh my goodness. Amazing, just like that. Now, I think that what troubles us is not the death, it's the dying. You understand what I'm saying? It's getting to that point. Because to be quite honest with you, over the last few years, we've seen an, uh, a couple of folks in our church that, that that process of getting there was extremely excruciating, very painful. And, f- and I, I know there's a number of reasons, and I've kind of walked through those, that God allows us to have to go through that with loved ones to prepare us to work in our own lives. And it's harsh. It's hard. And yet I know this, that God's grace is sufficient in the midst of that. But did you notice what he says here? If you're a believer, he says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, our bodies will die. 
yet shall live. You won't die. I mean, so your body dies, but you don't die. You go to sleep, wake up, you're right in the very presence of God. The one that would rather die than to live without you for all eternity. He died for you. Amazing. That, that, that verse is packed with hope. And it's just amazing. He says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In fact, I don't think we'll be, you'll never be more alive than when you're in the presence of Jesus. And so though the body, you know, absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So when that body's laying there and you're no longer there, you're never more alive than ever before. Because you're in the presence of God, if indeed you have put your faith in Jesus. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Now, notice what she says. Same thing that Martha said, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Anguish. The next few verses are breathtaking. It is giving us a glimpse of the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. It's what we celebrate right here at Christmas time, the incarnation. God became man. And so this is what's so cool about these next couple verses is that the thing that we can see in these verses is that our Savior, Jesus, is meek enough to sympathize and yet He's strong enough to save. You've you got to get that combination down and understand that he has both. He, he can come alongside and he understands and he weeps with us, and yet he's strong enough to redeem us and to help us through, to give us the strength that we need. Got to have that. He's, he's amazingly tender and loving and, and good, but he's also amazingly great, awesome. And so we get that in these next verses. Let me read them. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. You're going to start uh, memory verse, you know, start memorizing verses. This is the one to start with. Because it's the smallest, but it's, it's, not, it's the deepest also. It's the most profound verse in all of the Bible. That when you understand this, that when you're going through hardship, He understands. He knows your pain. The God of the galaxies is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. His heart is broken when your heart is broken. But he's, even beyond that, He's strong enough to give you the strength to help you through that. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Go back to verse 33. He says that he was deeply moved. 
So that's that compassion, that weeping. But it also says, in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word there for greatly troubled, a lot of the translators didn't know what to do with that because it's, because it's, it's, a, it's a, almost a contradiction. Here he's got some compassion. And then this next phrase talks about he's almost snorting with anger. And you'll see this kind of snorting with anger down a little bit further in verse 38 where it says he's deeply moved again. And what that means is uh, it's almost like a uh, UFC fighter getting ready to take out his opponent. So this is, that's what's so beautiful about this. So he, he, knows, he knows my heartbreak. He knows your heartbreak. And yet he came. So it gives us a little bit of a picture of who Jesus is, but also what he came to do. He came to destroy sin, death, hell, the grave, Satan, and bring freedom to our lives. So he's compassionate and tender towards us, but at the same time, he can bring strength to us. He came to bring victory. So it's a beautiful combination of the incarnation, divinity, and humanity combined. Oh, it's breathtaking. Our Savior. And uh, in verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved uh, again, came to the tomb. So this is like a prize fighter, like a UFC fighter coming in. I'm going to trounce on the enemy. He's coming against our adversary. He fights for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. It's beyond hope, basically. Have you ever been in that situation? This is beyond hope. This is hopeless. I don't know what he's going to do. How could he make anything good out of this? This is beyond anything that we've ever faced. That's really what he's describing here. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. There's that word again, the glory of God. So remember, when he started, he said, this is for God's glory. He says, I'm telling you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. He told his disciples that in seeing the glory of God, you're going to see an increase in faith. I'm glad that he died because your faith will increase, because so that you will believe. So what is this glory of God? The glory of God is, and we, we did a study on it a couple years ago, about a year or so ago, and the glory of God is, his, is God's supreme significance. It's his infinite indescribableness. It's his breathtaking beauty. It's his all astounding attributes combined. But here's an easier way for you to remember this. You can take with you. And, and it's this, that there is no wow. Have you ever seen a landscape or a great catch or whatever? And you go, Wow. There's no wow. Have you ever had like your favorite dessert or anything? And it was like, mmm, mmm. So you got the wows of life and you got the, mmm, wow, that is good. Those things. There is no wow or mmm in creation that even comes close to the wow and mmm of our creator. That is the glory of God. And that's what we desperately need in times of tribulation, trial, things that are devastating to our lives. We need His glory. We need to see His glory. We need to have a sense of, wow, God, you are, you are beyond my wildest dreams. Oh, my goodness. And you are, mm, you are satisfying. And you see that in Jesus, in His greatness and His goodness. As we heard of the events in Newtown, Connecticut this last week, 
I mean, we, we, we would all agree. My prayer is that we would begin to see that evil is tragically real. But the Bible tells us, and this is what we're studying, God is supremely great and absolutely good. He, his grace is more than enough to face any dark days that come into our lives. It, the basic verse of Desert Breeze is John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's what drove me to become a pastor from being a paramedic. Seeing the darkness and the depression and the stuff that surrounds us. And yet I knew the second half of that verse that, that Jesus invades our pathetic plight with fullness of life. He redeems us. He rescues us. He loves us. In the midst of those hard times... And uh, that's what these verses are telling us as we work through them. So that's the glory of God. So the glory of God is that wow and that mmm of God that exceeds any wow and mmm in creation. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. That you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, this is significant, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. And I believe this represents, this is a a trailer of our resurrection. I think it's it's a picture of what happened when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. That God spoke and we came alive to him. And what he was doing. So it's a beautiful picture. This is God's word to us this morning. So two things. We need to see life's difficulties in light of our mighty God. And then we need to let life's difficulties press our heart uh, toward our mighty God. How do we do that? Let's, let's begin right there. And let me just kind of walk you through this. It'll move pretty quickly uh, on some of these fill in the blanks. But the first thing I, th- I think I learned from this and I'd like to pass on to you is that don't read God through your circumstances, but read your circumstances through God. He's talking about love. The, the, the tendency is like, oh, God must be mad at me. Look how bad things are happening to me. Well, no, 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 that's not true. You always look at your circumstances through the love of God, not the other way around. It is a terrible mistake to think disaster implies divine judgment and prosperity implies divine approval. It's wrong. Because the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, Matthew 5.45. The only way you know that you are pleasing to God is to consult the scriptural standards. Go to the Bible. Then you can know whether you're pleasing to God. Regardless of the circumstances, the worst thing that can happen to you is to have a painless, problem-free life and never wake up to your pride and your desperate need to God. So when bad events come into our life, oftentimes, and I've talked to a lot of people, and I bet if I did a survey here this morning, most of you would say that your heart was closest to God during hard times rather than good times. How many would agree with that? Show of hands? Yeah, Absolutely. Pastor Ray, it was the hard times that brought my heart to God. Praise God for the hard times. Awesome. Well, I wasn't saying that while I was going through. I know you weren't, but I'm saying it for you because now you've seen him and you know him. Praise God.
three attributes you need to know in trusting God. These are three attributes I teach a lot around here. If you're going to really trust him during difficulties, here's the first one. It is perfect love that motivates Jesus to do what he does in our life. It's perfect love that motivates Jesus to do what he does in our life. John is stressing Jesus' love for this family because he knows that what Jesus is about to do here does not look like love to most people. Love motivated Jesus to let Lazarus die. Love motivated Jesus to let Lazarus die. That's a hard statement. But you begin to embrace that and understand that. I mean, you're going to be able to make some progress in your faith and understanding of faith. I like what C.S. Lewis says. I think that we can all agree with this. We're not doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. You guys agree with that? Uh, Timothy Keller puts it this way. Sometimes God seems to be killing us when he's actually saving us. And that's why it's critical that you get to know God. I put as one of the cross-references there, Psalm 9, 9 and 10. It says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know His name will trust in Him. It means know His character. So the more you get to know God, the more you will trust Him. Our problem with trusting God is that we don't know Him. How many have ever met someone and the more you got to know them, the less you trusted them? Show of hands. Yeah, but it's the opposite with God. The more you get to know God, the more you will trust Him. And so it's, it's critical that you get to know God, that He loves you. And the, the reminder of that is the cross. You always go back to the cross. He loved you so much, He died for you. He'll take care of all of your lesser problems because that was your worst problem, is your separation from God. And so that's, that's pretty important in that. And uh, the next point, it is infinite wisdom that Jesus knows what we most need for our life. So it's his perfect love, his infinite wisdom, that he knows what we need most for our life. Did you notice he delayed two days? That doesn't make sense. We saw that in verse 6. Once again, Timothy Keller writes, if you've got an infinite God big enough to be mad at for the suffering in the world, then you also have an infinite God big enough to have reasons for it that you can't think of. Okay? Just because you can't see a reason why God allows something to happen doesn't mean there can't be thousands in his loving, wise, and then here's the next one, control, his unlimited power. That's the third attribute of God. So perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power, which would be really his sovereignty. It is unlimited power that Jesus can and will do what we most need for our life. Uh, a young lady who has gone through a lot of trauma, she wrote, she's written a lot of books, very profound uh, communicator, speaker, Johnny Erickson Tata. How many are familiar with her, her writings? Uh, in her book, When God Weeps, she says a couple of very profound statements in there that always stayed with me. And she says this, and it's very biblically based. She says that God controls evil, otherwise evil would be out of control. When the events went down there in Newtown, Connecticut, God was not wringing his hands, pacing the corridors of heaven saying, Oh no, what did I do? So I let something slip by. That's not our God. He is sovereign. He's in control. Now, we might not fully understand what he's up to and why he would allow the events, but that's why Johnny Erickson Tata says, and it's biblically based, that, that God controls evil, otherwise evil would be out of control. And, he, and she also said that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Pretty interesting. And I believe that God restrains a whole lot more than what he would ever allow. 
I believe that this place would be a bigger mess than what it is currently if it wasn't for the restraining hand and work of God. So we tend to, you know, we tend to think, wow, where were you? He was probably protecting a whole lot more kids and a whole lot more things that could have happened in that. But he's, he will always, he will always, I know this because the Bible tells us that he will always sacrifice the temporal for the sake of the eternal. He's more concerned with our eternal well-being. This life is just a, it's a breath. It's gone. It's here. It's gone. It's over. And he's more concerned about your eternity, eternity, where you're going for all eternity than anything else. So he will use this life for the sake of all eternity and for you to have an eternal perspective while you are in this life. So what is he ultimately up to? So, so we've got to understand this. So God's, in God's perfect love, he desires what is best for you. In his infinite wisdom, knows what is best for you. And in his unlimited power, he will do what is best for you. Here's the next. So what is the best for us? What we most need is that which gives us the deepest and most durable joy. And so, uh, as I said, that he's trying to help them with their faith, their belief. And what increases our faith and belief in uh, traumatic times is the glory of God. Verse uh, Next point, so the deepest and most durable joy comes from seeing and savoring the glory of God. And this is what I love about the Bible. It's not in denial of reality. Beware of people that would try to have you deny reality. This is horrific what happened. Extremely painful in Newtown, Connecticut. Many of you have gone through extremely painful times. It's, it's interesting because we have a number of folks that are currently grieving in our fellowship. The Eshes are still grieving the loss. They will grieve for many, many years as they work through this process. They buried their 20-year-old son. That's devastating. The parents currently in Newtown, Connecticut are, I mean, this is going to take years. They won't ever completely recover from this. This is a parent's worst nightmare. And yet I know he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I'm convinced of, of what the Bible tells us and teaches us in, in these and these kind of events and the things. But this is what I love about the Bible is that's not in, in denial of reality. It, it really talks a lot about grieving those things. But in the midst of that grieving, embrace the bigger reality, and that is God. He is mighty God. He is wow, and mm, he is great, and he is good beyond anything that you could ever think or comprehend. And so it's, it, that's what that means. And so we need to see his glory more than anything. So... It is impossible for a person to despair who remembers that his helper is perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, and unlimited in power. So we need to see that in all of who God is. Now, this next statement might knock you sideways, and it took me a little while to work through it, and I still struggle with it, but it's true. No pain would be too great to endure if it brought us into a greater experience of the beauty and glory of Christ. That takes a lot of faith. Now, how do we take it to the next step? Let life's difficulties press your heart toward our mighty God. Hudson Taylor, uh, missionary to China a number of years ago, this is a quote from him. He said, it's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. I've seen a lot of people defect from the faith through tragedy. Two reasons typically people defect from the faith. One is that they they defect from the faith because they are deceived by the pleasures of of life 
And I've also seen people defect from the faith because they are disillusioned by the pressures and the pain of life. So how do we not let that that pain get between us and God, but press our heart near to God? This is how you do it. I believe this text gives us that insight. Beware of the paralysis of analysis, speculating all the wise. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't give long theological and psychological explanations. Did you notice that about Jesus? And there's this beautiful balance that as he comes to both Martha and Mary, with Martha he speaks, with Mary he is speechless. With Martha he shows strength, with Mary he shows weakness. With Martha, he confronts the flow of her heart. With Mary, he enters into the flow of her heart. So you've got this beautiful combination of, of truth and tears, which that's what you need to bring when you're comforting someone that's grieving, truth and tears. And you want to kind of see where they might be, but, but you bring truth and tears based on where the, what their need might be in that particular situation. Some more truth than tears and others more tears than truth, but you have to have the combination. We all tend to, tend to lean more towards one or the other. Conservative churches seem to be more about truth, truth. And more liberal churches tend to be more about tears. We need to have them both. We need to be balanced. Some of us tend to be more fixers. We're more about truth. Others of us are more about feelers. We're more about tears. But you need to be thinking as you walk through it with your friends, what do they need? And by the way, do you feel like I often feel inadequate when you're with people that are grieving? How many of you ever feel that way? That's right where you need to be. You're in a perfect place to be able to hear God and to allow Him to speak to you and through you through the events. And I'll give you a little more insight as we walk through this. But we've got to be careful not to, to just uh, speculate and... Paralysis of analysis, speculating all the wise. There is no nice, simple answers to the complex issues of uh, evil and suffering. You're never quite prepared for that phone call. By the way, uh, let me just say, um, it, it, that phone call always comes out of nowhere. And there is a spiritual equity, and this is what I plead with you week in and week out, is when you come to church, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you hang out with fired up Christians, you're building spiritual equity, and you will have to draw from that account. God forbid that you have nothing to draw upon. Most people don't give God the time of day until tragedy hits. That's a little bit too late to be thinking about God. Though He is still there, but you're not going to have the equity to draw upon. Because even when you have that equity, it still comes out of nowhere. It will knock you sideways. It will take you a long time to get over it. And I'll tell you what, it makes a major difference of people that have been walking with the Lord up to that point and how well they are able to kind of work through that and recover versus those that haven't. Major difference. Major difference. What do you do when you feel that your heart is caving in? Whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Whatever you're feeling, it's okay. Anger, shock, rage, numbness, not feeling anything at all. It's all okay. Some things are unresolved and no amount of explanations or intellectualizing or spiritualizing helps. That's a fact. And some things are painful, random, evil, and brutal, and they make no sense. And right now we can't resolve them. We have to leave them in God's hands. So, beware of paralysis of analysis, speculating all the wise. Here's the next one. He understands the full weight of our pain. He understands the full weight of our pain. Jesus wept. There's a verse that I came across uh, 
about a week or so ago, it's Psalm 56, 8. Uh, I don't know if I put it on your cross-reference there. Is it on your notes? 50, 56, 8 of Psalm. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. How many have ever had those nights where you tossed and turned? The Bible says that God keeps count of those. He knows how many times you tossed and turned. And he put my tears in his bottle. And they are they not in your book? In other words, he, he knows. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows all about your life. He knows about your pain. He knows every toss and turn on those late nights. He knows the anguish that you go through. And he cares. And he weeps with you. And yet he is there for you. And strong enough to be a father of compassion, a God of all comfort for you, to see you through. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And I love that verse. The gospel message is that God hates suffering and loves us so much that he was willing to come down and get involved. Here's the next point. You can have great faith and still weep. You can have great faith and still weep. Spiritual maturity and great sorrow go hand in hand. It's about being fully alive. And I find it interesting, in spite of the fact that Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still weeps. Jesus wept. And... Uh, and so, and, and I believe that the more you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to be alive to the wickedness around and weep over that. And yet at the same time, have that hope and that certainty in Christ. So it seems kind of this, uh, this irony in our lives. So you're going to weep much deeper because you're more in touch with the reality of that, but you're also in touch with the greater reality of his glory and his goodness in the midst of that. Next point on your notes. If you don't let it out, if you don't grieve it, it is still in there somewhere. It says to grieve with those that grieve. It says that we are to cast our burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain us. He will not allow the righteous to be shaken. It is possible to have gone through great loss years ago and to have not grieved it properly and still be carrying it around. If the Son of God needs a good cry, then so do you and I. Beware of the weird idea that weeping and mourning equals doubting God or a sign of weakness or it's not manly to cry. It is wrong and you can mess people up for an entire lifetime if they're not allowed to express natural healthy emotion. Jesus suffered, not that we wouldn't suffer, but that when we suffer, we would suffer well. Swindoll gives us further insight. I'll just rattle these off real quick. He gives us really good insight here on what we do with people. By the way, I had lunch with uh, Stephen Tracy here about a week and a half ago. He wrote the book, Mending the Soul, and this is what he said. He said, American Christians and, and most American churches don't have a theology of suffering. Pretty profound. Here's what Swindoll says. When you're with people, helping them grieve, be real. Be quiet, be supportive, be available. Be real, be honest about your own feelings. Be quiet, be a good listener. Be supportive, validate, and love. The best thing you can do is love them. And then be available, stay by their side. It's great insight. Here's the next one, last two points. Here's where we're going with this. I'm going to give you the next couple points. I've got two illustrations with each of those points, and then we're going to pray. We're going to give you opportunity to receive prayer this morning. We're going to have three stations here, and we will anoint you with oil. It doesn't matter whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, we will anoint you with oil and pray for you. And we're going to also ask you at the end of our time today is just to sit quietly and pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for the Newtown, Connecticut folks that are going through this horrible tragedy and uh, pray for the 
family members here in our church family that are grieving. You don't need to know the specifics. God knows. Just bring them before God in prayer. And bring your own needs. Just sit reflectively and see, what is God speaking to me through this? Let me give you the next point here. True faith is not without doubts, questions, and fears, but it's bringing your doubts, questions, and fears to the Lord. Did you notice that in both Martha and Mary? Jesus, where were you? If you'd have been here... They're bringing their doubts, questions, and fears to Jesus. Imagine this. Here's my illustration. Imagine you are on a high cliff, and you lose your footing, and you begin to fall. There's a branch sticking out of this cliff, and it's your only hope. And it's certainly strong enough to support your weight. If intellectually you believe that it's strong enough, but if you don't reach out and grab the branch, you're going to plummet to your death. But even if intellectually you're struggling emotionally with questions, doubts, and fears, but if you reach out to that branch, you will be saved. Listen to me. Because it is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith. And it's during times of difficulty and trauma, reach out and grab Jesus. Cling to him. And the more you do that, the more you will trust him because you will see he is faithful. Last point. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but we still need help of others to remove the grave clothes. Did you notice at the end of this that he told those, he says, hey, remove his grave clothes. He came out. He couldn't see much. We need people in our lives to help remove the grave clothes. We have life in Jesus. We can't see that. We're so covered up with so much trauma in our lives. But when we get into groups, small groups, whatever it might be, people come alongside of our lives and remove the grave clothes so that we can see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. Here's my last illustration, and then we will pray and uh, we'll spend time in prayer. Imagine you are an admirer and companion of Jesus Christ during his ministry. He is such a powerful worker of miracles that disease and hunger are almost banished from the countryside when he is present. He is such a wonderful teacher and spiritual guide that thousands of people hear him gladly and get hope. Then suddenly, this man who is the one to help the whole country is cruelly, unjustly cut off in the very midst of his life at only age 33. What if you stood at the foot of the cross in front of this apparently senseless act of violence and tragic waste of life, and you said, I can never, ever trust God again after an event like this. And what if you went home and completely renounced all belief in God, saying, this proves that God is either a monster or indifferent or he doesn't exist. If you did that, you would have been missing the greatest act of God's love and redemption in history. But of course, no one at that time and only a few for a good while afterwards could fathom what had happened. Here's my point. In the hands of the Redeemer, moments of apparent defeat, crucifixions, can become wonderful moments of grace and victory, resurrections. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a few moments. On the notes... In the bottom of the notes, I put these two quotes. St. Augustine said, In my deepest wound, I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. A.W. Tozer said, Christ dazzles me and stirs within me such feelings of amazement that I can never get over him. God, that's what we need. We need to see your glory. God, prepare us for hard times. 
God, we pray that you would be a father of compassion, a God of all comfort to the folks there in Newtown, Connecticut. May we awaken to the fact that evil is tragically real, but God, you are supremely great and absolutely good, that you are more than enough to see us through our darkest days. Help us to see that and fully embrace that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you have spent a few moments in prayer, if you'd like to have prayer, there'll be three stations, one here, here, and one right back there. Uh, Feel free to come forward to have prayer, but as you've prayed for a few moments here this morning, please exit quietly. Next week, we continue on with our, our teaching series. We'll be talking about Everlasting Father, and that will be our big uh, celebration uh, for Christmas. God bless you.